God's Road Grace Church would like to invite you to listen to a sermon by our pastor, Todd Nybert. We are located at 4137 Todd's Road, two miles outside of Manowar Boulevard. Sunday services are at 1030 a.m. and 6 p.m. Bible study is at 945 a.m. Wednesday services are at 7 p.m. Nursery is provided for all services. For more information, visit our website at toddsroadgracechurch.com. Now here's our pastor, Todd Nybert. I'm going to be speaking from the third chapter of Hebrews, and I have entitled the message for this morning, While It's Called Today. The writer said, while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. While it's said today, it will not always be said today. The time is coming when today will be no more. Now we have an example of this in the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins. You'll remember the wise virgins had oil in their lamps. The foolish virgins did not have oil in their lamps. And when the bridegroom came, the foolish virgins' lamps went out and they had no oil. And they said to the wise virgins, give us some of your oil. And they said, no, we'll run out. Uh, By the time he comes, you go to them that buy and sell and get your own oil. And the scripture says, they that were ready went in with him to the marriage and the door was shut. The time that they could enter in was no longer. And when they were came also the other virgins saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Now today is the day for faith. What do you mean by that? Somebody might be thinking. The time to believe the gospel is right now. Not tomorrow. Right now. Today. While it said today, if you will hear his voice. Notice that while refers to an increment of time that may no longer be. While it's called today, it will not always be called today. Now, men hide in two false refuges. Yesterday and tomorrow. That's where men hide. I look to what happened to me yesterday, what I experienced yesterday, what I believed yesterday. Now, if you would have eaten yesterday's manna when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, what would take place? It would breed worms and stink. What do you believe today? I'm not concerned about yesterday. Who do you believe today? Are you looking to Christ only today? Somebody says, well, I'll do it tomorrow. Tomorrow may never come. Boast not thyself of the morrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. While it's called today, if you will hear 
his voice. Now, is that what you desire? Do you desire to hear the voice of God? Now, I'm not talking about hearing his audible voice. When someone says, God said this to me, or they heard something audibly, they're just not telling the truth. No one has heard God audibly. I remember one time a preacher wrote me and said, God told me to do this. And I need your help and your money in order to do this. And I wrote the man back. I said, God never said anything to you. You're lying trying to get money. No man has heard God's voice audibly in this day. But he speaks. He speaks in creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. This created universe tells us God is. Somebody made all of this and nobody made him. He speaks by his providence. That's everything that happens in time. He's in control of. Whatever it is, every experience I have, every trial I have, every blessing I have, whatever takes place in my day, in my night, whatever it is, it tells me that I ought to seek the Lord. God speaks in his providence and God speaks by his word. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And God speaks in the preaching of the gospel. What's going on right now? It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now, if all you hear is my voice, it will do you no good. Today, today, if you will hear his voice. While it's said today, if you will hear his voice, the writer says, harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation. Now that day of provocation is what is referred to in Numbers 13 and 14. We'll get there in just a moment. But let's consider this thing of hardening your heart. Hearing his voice and hardening your heart. So his voice is not heard. That frightens me. I don't want to harden my heart. Now the scripture says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And all God needs to do to harden my heart or your heart is to just leave us alone. Nothing else needs to be done. If I'm left alone, my heart will harden. But the scripture also says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart so that he refused to let the people go after all he had seen. Now, this thing of a hard heart, what I thought about more than anything else when I tried to think, what is this thing to have a hard heart to where you can't hear? And I thought of Numbers chapter 21, where the people became discouraged because of the way. It was hard. And they murmured against God and against Moses. And they said, we don't have anything to eat and we don't have any water. Now that very day, manna had fallen from heaven and water had come from that rock. Yet they say, we have nothing to eat. We have no water and our souls loathe this light bread. That is what they called the manna that came down from heaven. Light bread. Not substantial to satisfy us. Light bread. Now, the bread hadn't changed. They had changed. 
At one time, it was manna from heaven, the best thing they'd ever tasted. Now it was light, contemptible bread that they no longer wanted to eat. They were tired of it, and they wanted something else. Why? Their hearts had hardened. The bread hadn't changed. They had changed to where they could not appreciate this heavenly bread. Now the writer says, while it's said today, it won't always be said today. While it's said today, if you will hear his voice, his voice in the gospel, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. Now what he's talking about is something that took place in Numbers chapter 13 and chapter 14, where God ended up saying, how long will this people provoke me? Now what happened? In the third or fourth week after they had left Egypt, they were getting ready to enter the promised land. God said, enter the promised land. And they decided to make a committee. They sent 12 spies, and they were there for 40 days. And they were going to see if what God said was true. Now, something's wrong with that. If God said it, it's true. It's not, you know, you don't tempt God to see if what he said was true, but they went into Canaan with these spies and they searched out the land for 40 days. And when they finally came back, they came back with a cluster of grapes so large that they had to put it on a staff and two men had to carry it in. And they said, indeed, the land flows with milk and honey, just like God said, but there are giants in the land. And we were like grasshoppers before them. The land would eat us up. We could not take this land. Now remember what they just seen. They had just seen God destroy Israel. I mean Egypt to bring them out. They witnessed that. They witnessed the ten plagues. They witnessed the parting of the Red Sea. They witnessed the people who were left in Egypt beg them to leave and give them all their material goods in order to do that. They had seen miracles. They had seen the bread come down from heaven. They experienced that. They experienced the water coming out of the rock. And yet they look at these people and say, we can't do this. Whoever said you could? God can. We're resting in the ability of God to bring us this land. But these people said, no, we can't do this. And they said to Moses, they said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt that we and our children would die here in the wilderness? We're a, we're, we have no chance to take this. Well, chance doesn't have anything to do with it. If God gives it to you, you'll have it. But they didn't believe that. And Joshua and Caleb said, we can take this land if God delights in us, if God's for us, it's no problem. And you know what they wanted to do? They wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb for this message they brought. And they said, let's make a captain and go back to Egypt. That's when God said, how long will this people provoke me? And then he said, for the 40 days that they were in Canaan searching out the land, they were going to spend 40 years in the wilderness. And all who are over 20 years old, they're going to die in the wilderness. Those people that left Egypt 
to go into Canaan. They're never going to go into the promised land. They're going to stay wandering here in the wilderness for 40 years till they're all dead. Now, the people under 20, when they left Egypt, they're going to enter the land. Those people whom you said they're, we're gonna, they're, our children are going to die, they're going to enter the land. You're not only two will. Joshua and Caleb, the men who believed God, they were the only people out of millions who left Egypt, the people over 20, who entered into the promised land, the people who believed God. God said, how long will you provoke me? Verse 16 of Hebrews chapter 3, for some, when they had heard, did provoke. That's what I've been talking about. They provoked God. They wouldn't believe God. Howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? Now, this concept of rest is found throughout Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4. These people, God said, they're not going to enter my rest or those who do not believe. Those who did believe God are the ones who entered into his rest. Now, what is this thing of rest? We're introduced to this concept in the first chapter of Genesis after the creation of the world. We read beginning in verse 31 of Genesis chapter 1. And God saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good. This is before the fall. He created the perfect creation. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. What did the Lord cry from the cross? It is finished. And all the host of them, and on the seventh day... God ended his work, which he had made. The work of creation that took place in those first six days was over. Somebody says, is this talking about six literal days? Well, I have no reason to believe it's not. Um, I don't understand all the implications of this, but I believe God created the universe in six days. I believe that he created this world uh, with all the oil and the fossil fuel and everything already ready. Uh, don't understand that. The Bible's not a science book. I'm not trying to be scientific. I believe God created the universe in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. He wasn't tired. He rested because he was finished. His work was very good. And then we read in verse 3, And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work 
which God created and made. The rest of the Sabbath. Now, what is this thing of resting? Well, in Hebrews chapter 4, we read, and if you and I want to understand what faith is, this will be very helpful. Verse 9 of Hebrews chapter 4, and this word rest is uh, said over and over again in these third and fourth chapters of Hebrews. And Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, it says, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. And that word rest is literally a Sabbath keeping. A Sabbath keeping. Now I remember when I was a boy, my grandfather didn't want me playing ball on Sundays. He didn't want us going swimming. He thought that was breaking the Sabbath. And I remember thinking, boy, that's uh, difficult. I wanted to go out and play on Sundays, and I didn't have any understanding of this. But really, neither did he at that time. Uh, because this thing of keeping the Sabbath is not about not cooking on Sundays. As far as that goes, the Sabbath is on Saturday anyway. It never was changed to Sunday. Somebody says, well, it's now the Christian Sabbath. No, it's not. There's no such thing. The Sabbath would still be on Saturday. But the point behind this thing of not working is resting in Christ. Resting in his finished work. You rest when the work is finished. There's nothing more for you to do. And you believe that. You believe that what he did is sufficient. You don't need anything else to make you accepted before God. You rest in what he did. Now let's go on reading. There remaineth therefore a rest, a Sabbath keeping to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works. As God did from his. Have you ever ceased from your own works and rested in the work of Christ? The finished work of Christ, knowing that all that God requires of you he looks to his son for, and there's nothing for you to do but rest. Now, the hardest thing you and I are ever called upon to do is nothing. To cease from your own works and rest in what he did and know that is sufficient. When he said, it is finished, my salvation was finished. Hebrews 10, 14 says, by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now, what a glorious thing uh, to rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. We which have believed have entered into a rest. And verse 18 says, to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not. So we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now what is unbelief? Unbelief is not believing what God said. When God says to rest, unbelief sees no safety in what God says. I need some works. Do you think I can just come into God's presence empty-handed? Don't I need to bring something to prove how good I am and sincere I am? I can't simply rest in Christ. 
Unbelief hears the gospel and says, I can't rest in that. I can't believe in that. I don't believe that Christ alone is sufficient to save me. I think my own works have to be added. I think my own doings have to be added. I cannot rest in what he did. They could not enter in because of unbelief. Now let me say some things in closing about unbelief that I hope will be helpful. If I don't believe, if you don't believe, it's because we chose not to believe. If I do not believe, I can't say, well, I don't believe because God didn't elect me or because Christ didn't die for me. No, if I do not believe, it's because I do not want to believe. The Lord said, you will not come to me that you might have life. He also said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you come to Christ, he will give you rest. You will have perfect rest. You will know that you don't have to do anything to earn God's favor or acceptance, but that you have it in Christ Jesus, and you will rest in his finished work. You'll cease from your own works just like God did from his. If you don't believe this, it's because you see no safety in resting in what he has done. You would rather bring your own works to God. Now, let me say some things about unbelief. So we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now, here's the first thing I want to say is all believers have unbelief. Remember what that man said in Mark chapter 9 when the Lord said, If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. He cried out, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. All believers have unbelief. Now somebody says, that seems contradictory. How can you, ha how can you be a believer and have unbelief? Well, every believer has two natures. An unbeliever doesn't. He only has one nature, the nature he's born with. The believer has two natures, the nature he was born with and the nature that he has from which he was born again. And that new nature always believes. And that old nature never believes. And both of those natures come out of one consciousness. It's not like I have two consciousnesses. No, I have one consciousness and therefore I cry out continually, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. The Lord does not work through unbelief. Mark or Matthew chapter 13 verse 58, he did not many works there because of their unbelief. The Lord does not work through unbelief. If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. I think of when the Lord uh, heard the disciples ask him this question, why could not we cast them out regarding the demons? He said, because of your unbelief. That's why you couldn't cast them out. 
because of your unbelief. Even after the resurrection, he upbraided his disciples for their unbelief and their hardness of heart. Now, I'm going to read a passage of scripture from Romans chapter 3 that I've always found to be such an encouragement. We read in verse 3. For what if some did not believe? What if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Shall their unbelief nullify God's purpose? Shall their unbelief keep God's will from being done? I love Paul's answer. God forbid. Yea, let God be true. And every man a liar. You see... um, God's will will always be done, and the unbelief of men or devils cannot hinder that. Man's unbelief will not stop God's purpose. Even a man's unbelief will glorify the justice of God in sending that man to hell, because that man should have believed the gospel. Unbelief will never stop God's purpose. It will never prevent anybody from being saved whom God intends to save. Now listen to this scripture. It said of Abraham that he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Now God said to Abraham when he had no children, he was an old man, Sarah was an old woman, You're going to have a great multitude. And you and your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Now Abraham could not by what he saw verify what God said. Because he didn't have any descendants. But he believed God. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. But was strong in faith. Giving glory to God. Being fully persuaded That what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Here's the New Testament commentary on that. Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.12, I know whom I have believed. Not what, but whom. I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able. I'm not persuaded in my own ability. But I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. I've committed the salvation of my soul to him. If he didn't do it all, I won't be saved. I am relying completely on him. Now that's faith. Unbelief says I can't rely on him. I don't believe that what he did is enough. I believe that my works must be added to make what he did effective. That is unbelief. And anyone who dies in unbelief will not be in heaven. It is only those who believe the gospel and rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. May you and I be enabled to rest in what he did. And really believe that all God requires of me is found in what the Lord Jesus Christ did. And I cease from my own works and I rest in his 
finished work. To receive a copy of the sermon you have just heard, send your request to todd.nybert at gmail.com or you may write or call the church at the information provided on the screen.